I'd like to talk a little bit about some events coming up through, for our St. Joseph devotion. Barbara, did we decide what was happening for St. Joseph here? Okay. I think, I don't think we, we've brought it up at several meetings, but right now, Christ the King and Blessed Sacrament have both kind of organized a St. Joseph celebration. We'd like to invite you to that. It's going to take place on Sunday, March 15th, which is the Sunday before his actual feast day at Christ the King. And we're going to do a combined celebration for several different things. The Knights of Columbus does a pancake breakfast that morning from 8 until after Mass. So uh, there'll be that. And then we're going to create a St. Joseph table. So this is a traditional form of honoring St. Joseph on his feast day. It's usually done in, in gratitude for favors received. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that I've, that I've seen with St. Joseph just in the last uh, week or two. But the idea is we set up a, an altar or a, a, a little table where folks can bring goods that they've baked. A lot of times those have traditional associations, certain, certain breads or pastas or other forms of food that represent miracles that have been given through St. Joseph's intercession in the past. And then they're given there, placed, blessed at the foot of the statue, and then those are sold and the funds are distributed to the poor or those, those, that food is given directly to them. This year, um, as, you may, as you may know, uh, at Christ the King School, a man, a crossing guard, was struck and killed by a speeding vehicle last week. We had his funeral at uh, Christ the King on Monday. And that was remarkable for a lot of different reasons. One of them being it was a Baptist funeral, so there were Baptist ministers preaching at a Catholic church and not running out of there like, I gotta I got get out. They, they were very gracious and did a wonderful job. And the second, the second thing, of course, is um, that this had never happened in the history of that, the crossing guards. No, no one had ever died in this way. So it was a very remarkable event. One of the things that, that I saw with St. Joseph, first of all, was the fact that, yes, this family of faith, Christians who, who all reverence our Lord as our, our Savior, were able to come together and experience a little bit of the unity and common prayer right, that, that we can't yet enjoy, but that we hope for. I saw that as something that St. Joseph, who takes on the role of the protector of the church, to be a father bringing his his foster children together. By the way, this year, I did not know this when we started our St. Joseph devotion, but this year happens to be the 150th anniversary of him being, of St. Joseph being declared the protector of the universal church, a title where he can be invoked in, in any respect, right, as someone to bring protection and intercession. So part of the reason I wanted to do this devotion was that we would start to bring him our needs. We would, we would ask him for help. Right, to intercede on our behalf with his son. And I hope that the celebration of St. Joseph's feast day will be an opportunity for us to give thanks and to, and to say we honor this great figure in the life of Jesus as someone who has done wonderful things and continues to do wonderful things in the life of the church. The other thing that I wanted to mention was that this man, Bob, who died, how many of you know the other most famous thing that St. Joseph is known for? He's invoked as the patron of carpenters and so forth. What do I hear? Carpenters? The earthly father of Jesus. But he has a title of a, of a, of a responsibility 
that, that he's associated with. Selling houses, that's another one. That's right, I forgot about that. You bury St. Joseph's statue upside down in your yard. <laughs> I forgot about that. Right? Protector of the family is one of them. What I'm thinking of, though, in the context of... Hmm? Orphans? Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Yes, all of these things are true. He's invoked for many different reasons. But what I'm thinking of in particular is that he's the patron of a happy death. Because we don't know when Joseph died, but we presume it was before Jesus started his public ministry. So Jesus was still living in Nazareth with his family and that Joseph would have died with Mary and Jesus by his side. Right? What better way... What better company to die in than, than that of, of Jesus and Mary? And I, I thought of that as this man, hundreds of children were praying for him at the hour of his death. Within minutes of that accident, of course, we're all looking out the windows of the school and seeing this, and immediately what happens? We start to pray. Pray for us now and at the hour of our death. So I saw that as a little, a little moment for, for, for Joseph to be working. And that our devotion to him maybe, I don't know, had some hand to play in the events as they transpired. Was that man protected from death? No. But he protected others from death. And I believe that he is safe in God's hands because of the way he laid down his, his life for them. So, as to our readings today, we hear the stories of the temptations. We could say them, we could describe them as the first and the last temptations. Um, and I, I think it's good for us here at the beginning of, of Lent to just sit with this reality that God was tempted. God was tempted. That, that on its face doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, how can that make sense? How could God be tempted? How could the creator be tempted by a creature? The devil is a creature, right? God made him. God was tempted. But it happened. So we have to reflect on it. This is how, this is how our understanding of, of God happens, right? There's events, and they, they reveal us they reveal to us something, and we, we reflect on them and meditate on them and come to an understanding of who and, and why God is the way he is. God was tempted. That means he entered into our human condition so that he could be deceived. He could see something, and it might appear to him as an apparent good that he would choose over faithfulness to God, over faithfulness to his Father. That's what temptation is, right? Temptation is being unmasked here. If there was anybody who was in a position to do some, something really good, it's our Lord, right? He could multiply food to feed the hungry of the whole world, if you want. He could rule visibly as a king. There'd be no question about who's in charge if Jesus reigned as king with all of his power, his divine power, right? He could do that. If he could become one of us, he could become a king of us in the way that earthly kings rule with their splendor and their intimidation and, and their force and magnificence. But that's not what he does, right? Those temptations are presented to him. 
Feed the hungry. They will adore you. Reign. They will fear you. Worship me, the one who first found the way to get out from under God's will. You'll be free. But that's not what our Lord does. He rejects those temptations. In pure, pristine, complete obedience to the will of his Heavenly Father. Even when he sees, as, as a human being, couldn't there be a better, shorter route to what I want to happen as the Savior? I don't need to suffer. I don't need to die. I can do this. That temptation doesn't sound very familiar to you or me, does it? Anybody ever been in that, been in that position? <laughs> no, but there, the nature of temptation is unmasked. It's been brought into the light. All of us have been tempted. All of us have been tempted according to the pattern of what we hear in the first reading, that, that story of, of Genesis, in which our first parents ruined it for us. They broke the harmony that was to be there, and, and we lost something that we could not gain back for ourselves. An overreaching desire for what is not God. That's the nature of that sin. An overreaching desire for what is not God. Turning towards creatures as if we were their creator and Lord, we turn our back on our creator. And that does sound familiar. That is our temptation. And so the holy season of Lent is a chance for us to be drawn back into reality, which is that we are not lords, we are not masters, not even of the world, certainly not of our own lives. And so we're called to pray, to fast, to give alms, so that the illusions we labor under, the darkness of our mind, and mistaking the creature for the creator, and the happiness that comes to us and the satisfaction that comes to us through the, through the goods that he's given us in place of his grace, his love, his mercy, and obedience to his will. And so we, we take on these penances, these mortifications, which they're uncomfortable. We take them on in freedom because we have hope of, a, of, of something better. I'm doing a kind of a ridiculous fast this year. I'm, I'm constantly asking myself why I'm doing it. <laughs> My staff is concerned, understandably. And it, it, it presents to me, like as I'm offering mass, right? What am I, I'm not thinking about mass, I'm thinking about Chipotle. <laughs> warm tortilla, rice steaming, guac, the pico. And I do that badly. I'm not, I'm not gaining something, at least according to my own light. I'm not, I'm not growing in holiness because I'm sitting here thinking about food all the time or what I'd rather be doing or eating. 
but I keep doing it because I trust that God's somehow at work in that. Right? I'm doing this because he asked me. I'm doing a mortification because he asked me. We do these things because he asks us to do them, and we trust that he's going to, even in that imperfection, fill it and flood it with something fruitful. If I give my money to the poor, if I, if I give of my property and I'm generous for some, with some need or some person in my life, right, it doesn't necessarily feel satisfying. It might feel, well, I'll be back in a couple days. But I trust that God's able to do that or use that or multiply that in the way that, that he wishes to bring about sanctification of his people and, and the feeding of his poor. So we embrace all of these things joyfully, however imperfectly we do them. We persevere in them, trusting that they're working, even though we don't see how. And in the midst of those temptations, God's grace comes flooding in. Let's open ourselves in this holy season as we reflect now, meditate throughout this Mass, that God was tempted, God himself what that means for us, how can, we, how can we receive what he wants to give us, why he did that, why, he, why that inspired story of the gospel is then repeated down through the ages to the present day and to the end of time so that we can access what is opened up to us there. And in this way, bear fruit in time and in eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.